the following resources presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. Welcome to the International Gen Z Conference, hosted here by IOM America. We are very pleased to bring this conference to you. In this session, we're going to be discussing the three primary worldviews that exist today in this culture. The first one's going to be the secular Gen Z view, which does not include Christianity. The second worldview we will be discussing is Christ's followers, and that is those self-proclaimed Christians that consider it important to have a Christian worldview, but are not necessarily claiming in the born-again experience. And finally, the third worldview we will be discussing is the born-again Zers. We will be revealing statistics on each of these worldviews, resulting in the smallest one being 1% of the Gen Zers today actually believe in a conservative, evangelical, born-again worldview. We hope that you enjoy this session. What you're about to listen to is Session 1 of the International Gen Z Conference. Okay, here's our three objectives for this afternoon. Number one, worldview according to Gen Z. Now, you're going to see a statistic here in a couple moments that if you are a concerned Christian, is probably going to mess with your mind a little bit. But I will give you the first percentage and give you the second one later. But only 4% of the surveyed, which were many, Gen Zers, only 4% make any claim at all to acknowledging Christianity as important. They're not even making a claim that they believe in the evangelical aspect of it. 4% are acknowledging it as having some type of importance. So that leaves us with a very large percentage of wondering exactly what do they believe and why do they believe that and how did they come to the point of believing that. Now identity comes from your teacher. So we have to ask right up front, who's your teacher? Now when you find out that only 1% actually trust church leadership, Answering the question, who's your teacher, becomes pretty important to me. Our second objective is the four markers of a post-truth era. Secular research companies, marketing research companies, the research division of the United States government, as well as conservative groups like Impact 360 and Barna Group and IOM America, are all saying the exact same thing. 
We have left the church age and we have entered the post-truth era. This is not just a discussion about faith in the church. This is a discussion about even the people who do not honor the church in any fashion are actually saying we are living in a post-truth era. There's so many clever lies that so much of the news is fake news. Well, I'm not afraid to write about or talk about one simple statement. What they have discovered in politics, what they have discovered in education, what they have discovered on social networks about this lie, lie, tell the truth principle. I am saying about the church. There is so much being said that is so far removed that there is fake news even in the church. I'm going to show you the statistics that proves that today. Finally, our objective number three is solutions. We really do need to talk about how to help Gen Z, not just piece them down. Because my goal isn't to piece a generation down. My goal is to first wake the generation up and then give them the answer. And that's what we need to do today. Tomatoes on the salad. This conference will unveil the top four identity markers of Gen Z. Number one, identity. Unfolding Gen Z's definitions of themselves and what makes them who they are. Number two, worldview. Revealing the spiritual and moral beliefs and ethics, possibly even lack of them. Number three, motivations. Gen Z's life goals and priorities and what they really think is important versus maybe their parents or their church or their government. This is the first generation we have ever had that actually has opinion that they will die for. They are immovable in their opinions. You can do all kinds of convincing and motivating or guiltizing them or doing whatever, and they aren't, they're just not moving. What do you do with a post-truth child? You do not throw truth at them. You have to show them an example. We've never seen this in a full culture before. Number four is view of faith and church. What this generation thinks about Christianity and also the Christian community. What's left of it. Now can you, just sitting there, and just don't think too much about answering this question, but just right on the spot, in your own mind, can you explain your worldview? Can you sit down with a relative thinker and explain your worldview? Now the key is you can't 
explain your worldview unless you know what your worldview is. And there's three primary worldviews that many of us are agreeing to. And I will show you that very quickly. And you will need to pigeonhole yourself into one of those worldviews. And if you somehow have an independent way of thinking going, well, that's not how I would explain it because, you know, Finney explains it that way or or Kenneman does or whatever, you can do your own independent thing on this. It's not going to change the problem we have. We have got to work together on some very simple solutions. And it starts with worldview. Where are you? Who owns you? You ever viewed Christianity as being owned by someone? The number one thing in politics today, in churches today, in cultures today, is a refusal to be owned by another. I know who owns me. Because we serve the one we think we believe owns us. And it's working for Gen Z too. So, very conservatively speaking, if we cannot find out exactly where we fit into worldview, what we believe, it's going to be impossible for us to do this. Okay, so I heard you're a Christian? Yes, the rumors are true. Well, I'm glad you found something that works for you. Well, it doesn't just work for me. Christianity is actually true. It describes reality. Yeah, okay, it's true for you, but it's not true for everyone. And don't you think everyone has a right to believe whatever they want to believe? Yeah, people should choose their own beliefs. I'm all for that. But that doesn't mean that everyone's beliefs are true. Whoa, don't you think that's a little narrow-minded? Well, that's the way truth is. It's narrow and exclusive. Maybe for you. It is for everybody. Two plus two equals... Four. Right. But you just excluded lots of numbers. See, that doesn't mean you're narrow-minded. It means that truth is narrow. Because it excludes all the answers that are not true. Okay, that works for math, but not for personal beliefs. My philosophy professor says there's two kinds of truth. There's absolute truth, like back in the dark ages, if something was true, it was objectively true for everybody, everywhere, all the time. But now he says we're enlightened, and we know there's no such thing as absolute truth. Is it absolutely true that there's no absolute truth? Absolutely. And the other kind of truth is where each individual creates his or her own reality. That's called relative truth. And does your relative truth apply to me too? Huh? Is the relative truth you've created true for everyone or just you? Oh, relative truth applies to everyone, everywhere. So relative truth is absolutely true? Absolutely. Uh Uh-huh, yeah. Look, with so many beliefs out there, you can't just go around believing that your belief is right. Hmm, is your belief that you shouldn't believe your belief is right, right? Yeah, If you go around saying that Christianity is absolutely true, it makes people who disagree with you feel bad. It's a form of oppression. It's hate speech. That's why our campus has all those safe spaces. Let me get this straight. If our beliefs are different, that means I'm oppressing you, I hate you, and you're not safe? Uh, pretty much. 
Oh, come on. Are you feeling oppressed right now? Well, no. I just think people shouldn't express their personal beliefs. Dude, you're expressing your personal belief that expressing a personal belief is wrong. Well, let's not make value judgments like right and wrong. So saying an idea is right or wrong is wrong, right? You're right, it's wrong. Telling someone they're wrong is just not right. Uh, right. It's what's known as intolerance, and that's one thing society should never, ever put up with. Intolerance. Yeah, like, okay, for example, you Christians always say that Jesus is the only way. That's about as intolerant as you can get. Lots of people aren't Christians. Just think how it makes them feel. But it's a fact that Jesus made the exclusive claim that he was the only way to God. That's just your opinion. No, really, I didn't make it up. It's a historical fact that he made that claim. The earliest first century biographies document that Jesus said he was the door to heaven. He also said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Well, then, if Jesus made that claim, then he was intolerant. Wait a sec. If your doctor tells you that one and only one particular medicine will cure your disease, do you tell her she's being narrow-minded and intolerant? No. This is the same thing. Jesus is saying that he's the one thing that all of us need. So you're saying I have to believe this? No, you can decide to believe whatever you want. That's your call. But you can't change the historical fact that Jesus made this huge claim about himself. So I'm entitled to my own opinions? Yeah, but you're not entitled to your own facts. None of us are. Jesus made the claim, and it's either true or false. How you evaluate that claim is entirely up to you. My philosophy professor never talked about this stuff. Uh, yeah, I know. Tolerance doesn't mean that we have to agree. In fact, you can't tolerate people you agree with because you agree with them. There's nothing to tolerate. Huh, I never thought of that. Tolerance means that you disagree with someone but you still give them the right to be wrong. Okay, wow, this is cool. Do you have time for coffee? Let's see if we can tolerate each other some more. Sounds good. How tolerant are you? Take the tolerance quiz and find out. Tolerance for conservative believers is simply to step up to reveal the love of Jesus Christ to a relative thinker who does not believe or support Christianity, as we just saw in this discussion in the video. It is not adopting their worldview. Now, from this point on, statistics prove that 22% of people attending this conference are going to be agitated and leave before the conference is over or turn the podcast off. This is such a huge issue when it comes to being able to define the basics of what has been the basics for the church for almost now 2,000 years. And now... It has been retired for some reason. So if you can't explain your world view, they are, whether you put yourself in this label or not, they are putting you in a label called you're a pragmatist. 
A lot of people think pragmatism is someone who thinks through their decisions. It is not. Pragmatism is very different. It's an individualized way of doing things or thinking about problems that is based on specific situations instead of the ideologies of a pre-established method or belief. Pragmatism is impulse decisions before you can hear the full truth. So we have a culture today with what has been labeled by the secular researchers as well as the Christian researchers as heaven having an eight-second attention span. Eight seconds. Now, any millennials that are in this room, you're going to do what we call in the counseling world as a psychological loop. Every six minutes. Which means you're going to get agitated inside, detach, and then maybe, if your interest is high enough, you'll re-loop. That's the millennial generation. Generation X is a bit different. They have been known to hang on for much, much longer periods of time in conversations and in teachings. All the way up to the elder generation, my generation, which we can lock in at 46.3 minutes in discussions and in teachings. We have had to reduce, for even for me to get on a certain network, I had to reduce my radio show, which is a 15-minute radio show, down to three-minute segments. They said the 15-minute will get a certain audience, but you're going to have to drop it down to three if you want to hit the new millennial listeners. Or they will not. So now we have three minutes with Dr. Finney, whatever that is. YouTube is the very same way. We used to post our teaching videos on there at 45 minutes to an hour long. And now they're telling me I I did reproduce a lot of snapshots down to three to five minutes. And now I've been told that they have to be reduced to 30 seconds. You've got to get that message in and... 30 seconds, because the majority of the population is going and creeping or literally being creeped in on into pragmatism, impulse decision now, because I make my judgment at the end of my attention span. Do you understand that? You make your judgment of a teacher or music or any other area of life after you're done with your attention span cycle. It's proven psychologically. So our conferences have to go into shorter and shorter periods. Today, this afternoon, is being broken up into bite sizes that will go out to the world because of the attention span issue that we have. Here's a quick little item in regard to the statistics. 
70% of what we're going to give you statistically today comes from Barna Group. We love them. We respect them. I know some of these people well enough to tell you they do their homework and they do it right and they present it in a very realistic way and they don't even push their conservative values onto others. They just state it, which is my style as well, even though they tell me I'm a little more blunt than they are. That's okay. And then we also want to thank Impact 360. I'm telling you guys, these guys, Sean McDowell's little, you know, promotional about MP Impact 360 is just so right on. You know, he's had the privilege of teaching there. I hope I do too someday because I love college age. I love the high school age and the junior high age because I know what's coming for them. And these guys have and gals have a mission to reach the high school age primarily and fresh graduates and taking them through the bite-sized version and the more extended version. And it's working. They have also provided, their media department has provided most of the videos, cute little cartoon videos that I'm showing you today. Uh, their media department works on these. There's tons of resources available on their website, impact360.com or .org, and check out their media. Very fast, quick statements about what is happening to our present generation. Okay, here's the breakdown in age. Barnett Group has been studying the generations now for 30 years. The elder group was born before 1946. Now, I know that there are some researchers that have different numbers to this because basically... They have a different view in gathering the statistics. But we're going to stick to these for today. I put myself in the elder generation because of the characteristics I typically function by from the traditional church. The elder generation is classically the generation that is left with traditional values of the church. Good, bad, or indifferent. The boomers is 1946 to 1964. The baby boomers, which age-wise, which is where I would truly be. But in my identity markers, I look at the entire scope and apply myself accordingly. Gen X is born 1965 to 1983. The millennials born 1984 to 1998. And, of course, Gen Z is 1999 to present. So with this conference, we're going to be focusing primarily on the 13 to 19-year-olds because it's very difficult to take a 6-year-old and explain to them what's happening to them and expect a worldview response from them. They're being thrusted upon by the stuff we're going to talk about today. Whereas the 13 to 19-year-olds are making some pretty significant cultural changes. 
Whether you want to admit it or not, they're affecting you. Your buying habits, your hairdos, and everything else. It's affecting you. As each generation has an impact on the generation before them. Do you know Bell Bottoms is coming back in? Yeah, baby. That's that's my generation. The hippie generation, which I help multiply through my pot smoking and my rock band years, all the other stuff I was a part of. And it got regurgitated. Do you remember that? And it came out with a label called Hip Hipsters. So this is what happens in culture. Nothing new is under the sun. When Solomon said that, he was quite wise in saying that. Everything loops, including your mind. So we need to take a look at some of these loops. We will be bringing out some statistics that have to do with the little ones, like how many hours does a four-year-old spend on a phone? Anyone have any guesses? Four years old. Any guesses? Four hours. Four hours a day. Four-year-old. Guess what's coming out? 2020. They're called baby screens. Google it today and you shall find it. They're baby screens. It's an actual device that is attached to the crib that is monitored by the parents in their bedroom. They can change from classical music to whatever. The parent's voice can come over to calm the child. It's touch screen, of course. So the child can interact with the screen. It's out. Gen Z is going to grow up with the Internet being their parent. Please prove me wrong at 602-292-2982. It's a little habit I have in my podcast is put in my cell phone number because I love hearing from you guys because a lot of times it creates questions. Okay. Generation Z is also known as the Centennials or the Post-Millennials. The pluralist is their biggest label. Pluralist is just a classic, pretty much unoffensive term for universalist. A universalist believes in all pathways lead to one God. That's what universalism is. When schools went from schools to universities, that's what they were saying. We're taking multiple worldviews and we're bringing them in one domain and let the student decide. That movement created this pluralistic culture today. They're also known as the homeland generation because of the homeland security issues. They're also known as techo kids. That's kind of a duh. So the demographics is still being analyzed, and I feel very honored to be a part of the 
process of putting a lot of these little pieces together so that we can literally explore the solutions that come with these new demographics that are coming out on the ages as well as all of the details of each phase of their childhood. Now to get things started in regard to the the combination of theology and ideologies coming together to have a healthy discussion we're going to have here, as well as some teachings throughout the rest of the afternoon, I want you to listen to this three-minute explanation in regard to generational ethics. Welcome to Generational Ethics. Hi, my name is Dr. Finney and I will be your host today. Statistics tell us that the Christian worldview includes all kinds of quote-unquote Christian religions, everything from Mormonism to this new movement that seems to be sweeping the world called Chrislam, and that's a blending of Christianity and Muslim beliefs. So Christian worldview does not necessarily mean a worldview from Jesus Christ. So in our ministry, we make a very clear distinction between a Christian worldview and that of a Christ as life worldview. So when we refer to a Christ as life worldview, it's basically this. A Christ as life worldview is viewing the world through the mind of the living God. Now we're able to truly receive the view of the living God by Jesus Christ being placed within the believer. We call this the born-again believer or the born-again Christian. So there's a clear distinction between Christian worldview and that of a Christ as life worldview. If True indwell believers, born-again believers, believe that Christ does come and live within their mortal bodies. The scriptures tell us that we have the mind of Christ. Now, either the mind of Christ is a symbolic reference to having Christ within us, or the mind of Christ actually is able to function within the indwell believer. We believe that Jesus Christ actually has the ability to think through the mind of the born-again believer. So keeping these two worldviews completely separate, as we go through the different generational ethical issues, you'll begin to understand the difference between secular worldview, Christian worldview, and a Christ as life worldview. This resource has been presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. For more information about our ministries, visit us online at IOMAmerica.org. That's IOMAmerica.org. Power and deception are birth through an established culture that uses its self-governed words or rhetoric to sell the assumptive conclusions to a naive individual or generation. 
who has no worldview. Now that came from the basic conclusion of the book that was put together by Barnett Group called Gen Z. Please get it. You'll find it a very valuable tool. But the conclusion is this. These young people do not have a worldview that can be defined by you and I. Even though we know all humans have a worldview, because if they are outspoken about something, it's coming from their identity. So it, it's a confession they really do have a worldview. Everyone does. But they have no formal worldview. There's a difference between formal worldview and pragmatism worldview. Pragmatism will change on the moment. Whatever is interesting to them, whatever is trending. The reason why trending works, and we make use of trending as well, but when the reason why trending works is because of this principle I'm trying to share with you guys. The human minds today, including the millennial generation and the Gen Z, which is mommy and daddy and child, function off of trending. The market, spirituality, politics, and ethics. They function on trending. So when we did this conference the first time in Atlanta, and right in the middle of the recording, we went trending from all over the world. Well, we want to use that for the good in Christ Jesus. It's the way the internet works. The way we build machines is what we learn from the human mind and its processing. I hope you caught that. The science people did. Biblical worldview is defined as viewing the world through the eyes and mind of the living God. 602-292-2982. I'm about to say it which is only possible after receiving Christ into your life, what used to be called true Christianity. Christianity today is called Christ-following. It is worshiping Christ externally, through worship services, through attending church services that maybe you can sit through a full sermon, etc., etc., It's not necessarily having a relationship from within. That's right out of 1 Corinthians 2.16. I'm not making this up. In fact, it says in that passage, do you not know that you have the mind of Christ in you? That was Paul speaking to a bunch of intellectuals. Do you not understand this? It's the basics of Christianity? Not today, Paul. Sorry, we're not asking you to speak on this. Two complete different worldviews. Gen Z's worldview can be summarized as viewing the world through the assumptive beliefs based on individualized pluralistic beliefs, which evolve from the acceptance of an inclusive culture. 
Inclusive means this, to include. So if I start having a discussion with you, and you and I agree on something, we have formed the beginning stages of inclusion. Now we start to have a discussion with someone else, and that someone else goes, wow, you know, I have never really thought of it like that. And they adopt our primary premise of whatever it is we're sharing. We have included them into our thought and analysis. Now inclusion is slowly evolving into a culture. Now can you imagine if we could invent a system If we could invent a system that dealt with social inclusion to where it happened so frantically fast that the thumbs up activates trending inclusions. If we could invent a system like that and somehow manipulate the people to become dependent on it. You would have an inclusive culture within a year. Now you have to understand what culture is. Culture comes from the term cult. They're following a religious belief somewhere. Well, we need to look at that. Here's the three worldviews we're dealing with today with Gen Z that statistics are being gathered on. Number one, we have Zers who claim to have pluralistic beliefs in their global worldview, but they particularly, for some reason, cut out Christianity. Inclusive pluralism is very Unfair. For some reason, Christianity is the first to be cut out of the culture. All the rest are in. But Christianity is excluded. They're not invited into their inclusive culture. That's what they're saying. Now you've got 96% of this entire generation saying we are excluding Christianity from our inclusion. Our culture. The second category is Christ followers. That's like stepping up to someone and say, are you an American? Well, yeah, I'm an American. Or are you a Christian? Well, yeah, I'm American, aren't I? That's this group. They make self-proclamation of having some kind of connection to Christianity. But they're not necessarily true Christians. And I could list out some of these 320 plus religions that use Christianity in their doctrinal statements. And you would say they're nowhere close to being Christians. But that's what's happened. There's a whole worldview focused on Christ's followers. And that is 
3% of the generation of Zers is saying they're making some kind of connection to a Christian worldview. It has some kind of importance to me. 3%. Have you ever tried preaching to a proactive relative Gen Zer? I do it every week. And I'm pretty quick in Christ Jesus. And they are tough to nail down. And some of you have grandchildren or children that you are saying what I just said. Now the last category is born again Zers. Zers who make the distinction between being a follower of Christ and being indwelt by him through a born again experience. One percent. I don't know about you guys, but a fourth grader can figure this out. One percent are clinging to traditional church faith and church environment, including their beliefs. The inclusive culture of traditional church is what they're saying. I look at that and I say, something's happened to the church. We're part of a brand new study that's going to come out in 2019. It's called the Post-Truth Church. Unbelievable things that pastors are saying today. And we're going to put together a whole series of teachings and conferences and seminars and classes for schools to be teaching. We're, We're writing them right now for next year. And when Barna Group releases their statistics book, I'm going to be releasing a book at the same time on all of the views from a Christ-centered worldview. You can be praying about that. But we're dealing with 1% of the entire generation that I would be able to talk like that and say, and then for them to be able to say, you have my interest. I get it. The millennials, for example, and many of you sitting here today are millennials. The millennials don't even want to hear a fraction of what's being said in a conference like this. They are the founders of pragmatism as a culture. And the statistics prove it. Gen Z, looking at a pluralistic View of society. Here's what we got. A pluralistic society is the greatest enemy of the church today. Ask any pastor, at least who is conservative. However, it's the greatest asset to the world of politics, marketing, liberal Christian education, secular education. They are making big dollars off of the eight-second thinkers. Big dollars. Some of those statistics are coming up in a moment as well. So the basic definition of pluralism is, this is right out of their dictionary, relating to or advocating a system in which two or more states, groups, principles, religions, sources of authority, etc., 
coexist by one unity of mind. Now see, there's a weird thing about this. In the Bible, it actually says that Christians are to be of the same spirit. I call that duh. The Holy Spirit. Duh. But it's not duh to people today. It's weird. What? Holy Spirit living in you? What is that? Paul also said that we are to be of the same mind. Well, back then that was a duh. Today it's not only strange, it's reactionary ethics. Everyone has to have their own individual thinking. Pragmatized culture. So every person you're meeting is not having this proclaimed unity of mind in coexistence because it's an illusion. Everyone wants their own thinking, their own self-ideas, and resulting in their own ethics, their own level of morality by their choices. Whether they marry a same-sex person or whether they are simply making a quality Bible choice. Gen Z statistics reveal their primary conviction of various religious, ethnic, racial, political groups in a single society. Individual gods or leaders as seen as relevant and real by their peer group. Relationships replacing absolute truth. Well, if I had a buck for every time I heard this, I would never have to raise funds for our nonprofit again. Well, I know how to handle a relative response. And that's why knowing your worldview and being able to explain your worldview is critical. Because they're all relative thinkers except for 4%. If you're not a relative thinker, you're allowing someone else to lead and guide your thought life. This is logic. See, relative thinker says no one's going to control my mind. Well, I'm going to show you statistics on how the Internet is doing exactly that. See, whereas a true follower of a leader in a religion, just pick the religion, doesn't make any difference to me, have come up with a contracting agreement within their minds saying, I'm allowing this religion and this leader to influence and control what I believe. It's what makes it a religion. So there is a pluralistic movement happening with this generation that is really setting them up for something that happened in the garden so many years ago when the enemy looked at Eve and said, but you too can be like God. I'm telling you, the day has arrived. We're here. These are critical issues if we're going to really understand why do they prefer friendships over absolute truth. 
I'll die for absolute truth. Those who know me and hang with me and have taken the time to get to know me, I'll die for it. Your opinion does not matter to me. But I'll tell you whose opinion does matter to me. The living God. And if he speaks through you, I listen very, very carefully. But his mind is the only thing that really matters to me. His worldview is the only thing that matters to me. Because people are so subjective, their opinions are almost embarrassing to God. Almost like they've got it figured out. And then they reconjugate it and they get it in there and they spit it back out in their perspective of something they heard from about 15 other people. It's called socialistic mind control. And it's on the internet with thumbs up or thumbs down. It's happening so fast that most of you Xers and boomers or older get frustrated and you want to turn it off. And to that I say you're irresponsible. We have the responsibility to care for our children's children, whether they're a bloodline or not. Think of what they're about to face. Here's a couple statistics on that. This survey shows us that the American adults who identify as a Christian under the category of putting importance in Christendom, which puts them in the category of being a Christ follower, an external. 75% of these Americans, when they were asked, identified themselves as Christian, minimally a Christ follower. Bible has got some importance to it. The church has a little importance to it, blah, blah, blah. Basically, what you and I have heard for many, many years, and that is if you're American, you're Christian. If you say that is ridiculous, you might want to visit some of the countries that we have to deal with. They look at America as a Christian nation. And when I'm in dialogue with some of these leaders, I tell them that's the farthest thing from the truth. That's a bad worldview. One of our greatest enemies and their faith that come up against the Americans believe that we are Satan because we are a Christian nation. That's bad theology. That's bad worldview. Allow me to explain to you what true Christianity is. Those are opportunities to clean up world or global world worldviews. And we're blessed with many of those opportunities. We're literally, our ministries conducting have been asked to come in and lead a peace conference that's taken place between South Sudan, Uganda, and Kenya. And so they're going to hear a talk similar to what you're getting today on Global Worldview. And then we are going to reveal to them six primary messages on personal identity, political identity, national identity, and how we can lead to a single point of reconciliation, but it must be done under a single world 
view. It is possible. This applies in every area of life. But it takes a group of people that are willing to admit that what we're coming up with right now isn't working. It's creating more animosity. On the right side, you see the American adults who identify as a traditional born-again Christian, which is what we call indwelt by Christ. That's 2%. That's who's going to be at your party. Now, if you are a Christ follower type and whatever it is that's going on with the people you're hanging out with is okay by you, you have to first understand you're a pragmatist. Toss the term liberal. That's a very old word. You're a pragmatist. Whatever feels right at the moment to save the relationship. That is how the church is moving. We're becoming a social gospel church because we are a social nation and the internet is built upon social networking. That's how it works. To get the positive thumbs up. Now here's what a discipleship statistic you might find interesting. So preferred methods of discipleship, the category there you see 38%. Here's an oxymoron at its best. 38% say I can disciple myself. Okay. I thought discipleship required a mentor. Now this is the modality of how the culture is shifting. Now, there was a group of 25% of them that were basically saying, well, I could handle it in a group setting. And then there was 16% that actually could say, I don't mind one-on-one. And then 21% a mixture of all the above. Now here's the problematic ethics. From the 100%, the indwelt Christians that prefer individualized discipleship and authoritative means direct, guidance from a traditional born-again pastor or teacher is 2%. That leaves us with a 98% shortage of people actually able to handle authoritative, not authoritarian, authoritative direct truth. You see, if I don't tickle your ears, you're not going to listen. But if I am direct by quoting someone else who has the authority to speak like that, that's my job as a Christian leader. It's not my words. I have to master the master in what he said in his worldview. 2% are saying, I like that. Now, our listeners today, these statistics apply. 98% of you that are listening right now fall into this category. Only 2% in this room are saying, this is awesome. I'm going to go through this again online. 2%. The rest of you are struggling with this highly strong conservative view of absolute Truth. Well, this is just the salad, folks. You should have steak with me. 
Most people can't handle salad anymore. They have to live off of supplements, which is what I call the ideologies of problematic ethics. What happened to being able to truly equip a human mind with absolute truth? That comes from someone else. They used to call them preachers, teachers of the gospel. They used to also try to crucify him upside down because you couldn't shut these guys up. Eleven of the twelve disciples were martyred severely for being absolute in their absolute beliefs of the absolute God. And today we just simply ruin them on the internet. New form of crucifixion. Ninety-eight percent of you listeners. You say, well, I want to be part of the 2%. We'll see. That's what I say to people. Saying words is one thing. But living them and being willing to die for them is another. That's the greatest test. And many of my listeners who deal with persecution every day of their life, you two work with a ministry that deals with the persecuted saints. I can't even tell you how much that moves in as I deal with our people internationally of what they have to go through for believing in absolutes. And us Christians are spoiled rotten in America. If you even mess with their ideology, methodologies in their mind, you get persecuted on the Internet. That is American persecution. It's called an addiction to people-pleasing. Let's take a look at a very interesting statistic. Gen Z is the second largest generation alive today. There's 69 million Zers. Of course, this is 2016. I'm going to show you another statistic of how many are being born every day in America. 66 million are Gen Y. 55 million are Gen X. 76 million are Boomers. Now, here's our problem. With the Boomers, Generation X minimizes relationship with the boomers. This is where the breakdown started for pluralistic thinking. Then we jump up to the Xers. The millennials and Gen Z reject and detach from Generation X. It's clearly documented all over the world. They just detached. They moved away. Other states, other friends, other adopted mommies and daddies from other relationships. And they just completely detached from their parents. It created the greatest schism of culture ever known to world history. Quote, unquote. Stick your head in the sand and you're going to get your rumpus kicked. This is unavoidable. Now here's our real problem. When we look at the 
The Gen Y, the millennials, the problematic ethics here is that leaving them as parents with the primary responsibility of being the primary influencers for Gen Z. Because they don't want anything to do with grandma and grandpa. They were trying to detach. So they visit grandma and grandpa, and it's typically to get the kudos and the goodies. Not to have training and the generational ethics that gets passed down from generation to generation. That's the role of a grandparent. It's not to give them cookies and milk. That's gone. They're to be visited, not adopted or inherited. So that's leaving the millennials as the primary influencers on Gen Z. We're going to have to look at their primary characteristics. Let's take a look at it. Who are the millennials? And what makes them tick? Everyone wants to know. Colleges, businesses, bosses, parents, marketers, churches. Born between 1984 and 2000, most millennials today are in their 20s or early 30s. It's a life stage that's undergone rapid shifts. Many sociologists now call this time in life emerging adulthood. People in their 20s today change jobs more often. They are delaying marriage and they are less likely to have children. In other words, they are taking longer to embrace the qualities once considered essential for adulthood, career, marriage, parenthood. Here's what millennials say are the most important things to do before they turn the big three up. Become financially independent. Finish my education. Start a career. Find out who I really am. Follow my dreams. Millennials are not just facing a redefinition of adulthood. They are also coming of age during an unprecedented technological boom that has redefined everyday life, putting all the best human inventions right in our pockets. And they are grappling with sweeping redefinitions of authority and what the good life means. Three quarters of millennials agree that whatever is right for your life or works best for you is the only truth you can know. Half of millennials, more than any other generation, say moral truth is relative. Millennials are the least likely generation to be attending church today. And when asked why they don't see it as important, most millennials said church just isn't relevant to them personally. For many millennials, church simply feels unnecessary to modern life. Much of what they might have wanted out of church, good teaching, good music, a social network, they can now find on their phones. How does the church reach a group who isn't settling down? Who isn't searching for moral authority? Who is redefining almost every aspect of adulthood? By coming alongside them, they are looking for mentors, friends, and fellow sojourners. There is a way to meet the needs and questions millennials are asking. It may require some difficult conversations. It won't always feel comfortable or safe or familiar. But the work is worth it. Millennials are worth it. Now, I have kind of re-emphasized for the past while how difficult it is to reach Gen Z. They are labeled the most unteachable generation in world history. The label has stuck. Educators are extremely concerned. Pastors are extremely concerned. And even some parents are extremely concerned. 
Since there is a larger number of millennials that you can reach, what we're doing is taking all the statistics and the little numbers, the 1%, the 2%, the 22%, we are taking those percentages in our ministry because that's our calling is to reach the reachable. I cannot do anything about your pluralistic mind rejecting what you're hearing today. There's nothing I can do about it. Discussing things with you, arguing with you, going into debates to me is fruitless. If you're wanting to discover absolute truth from an absolute God, we have a great discussion available for you and me. So we need to reach the millennials. The numbers are a little better than the Zers. Now we have to talk about reaching their parents because they dropped the ball. Decisions we made in the hippie culture, think about it now. We started the sexual revolution which is now gender issues. We started that. We're the fathers of the sexual revolution. We, our generation, is the one that started what Hollywood calls demonics in music. We put subliminals in music. And now we have 400% increase of demonics in gamery for Gen Z than the millennials? That pragmatism is said is moving into spiritualism? Demonics? Demonics is a term Hollywood's using to seduce people into spiritualism. This is science. This is their talk. They know more about demonics than you do because they use it to make money. Spirituality to this day is seductive, no matter who you are. So generational ethics conclusion on this is since millennials have detached from their parents, grandparents, and the church, Gen Z is forced to adopt their parents' lack of tradition or traditional ethics and spiritual formation, leaving Gen Z as a blank slate. They're up for grabs. We decided not to put the statistics in the presentation of how many kidnappings and the percentage of increase of kidnappings in this generation versus millennials. And you know how these kidnappers found these kids? That makes me angry. They think that they're getting thumbs up or thumbs down from their friends and they have no idea who's tracking them to get at them. That's increasing suicide rate with Gen Z that is off the charts, quote unquote. Kidnapping has gone through the roof, but it's classified information right now because it is out of control. That's what we're faced with. 
Is there any parent that's willing to get beyond their self-ordained opinions to reach these kids? Well, I'm going to step up. And I hope some of our listeners step up. This is critical. Before we take our break, I want to give you some very quick statistics. Facebook's in trouble. Gen Zers are dropping them like hot potatoes. 25%, in fact, of the Gen Zers are dropping Facebook. And the reason is they're too slow. The second reason is they don't like to be manipulated by fake trending, which is, as you probably have already heard, Facebook is under a lawsuit for manipulating trending. And I laughed when I read that. I'm not a big supporter of Mark. I've been boycotting him for many years. I know he's guilty of a lot of things, but you know, he's not a true and dwell believer, so why expect a doorknob to act like a redeemed Christian? I get it. Worldview comes from identity. But see, they're being sued because of this manipulating trending. Well, the Zers are going, I don't like being manipulated. Really? We need to have a deeper discussion here about how the Internet works. Number two, by 2020, I shared with that principle with you, is there going to be 40% of the consumer market? Number three, which is actually number five there, I have no clue what happened to my numbers. Gen Z received $16.90 of unearned allowance from their parents, which adds up to $44 billion. $44 billion of unearned allowances. You see, I can't blame the millennials for this. It's our generation that started allowances. Yeah, many of them used earned allowances, but we started that modality. We didn't put it up there, but there is a conclusive statement that they have attached to this statistic, and it is spoiled child mentality. They are used to getting what they want. The next one is, whereas the millennials use three screens... The Gen Zers use five. Well, part of that's because of technology. I can link all of my devices with my phone. Most of you can too. I have six screens I look at every day in, our, in my studio. And they, they literally surround me. And it is such an issue that my eye doctor's got these purple coating on my glasses to deflect a lot of my screen time. But sometimes, 10 hours a day, I'm looking at these screens. I know how technology works. I use it a lot. And I use it, I believe, for a good reason. Now, you take someone who, if I'm 10 hours a day screening, and their new numerical statistic is 9 hours a day, That's during the week when they should be doing homework. 
they're not getting homework, we got a crisis. The average Gen Zer has the attention span, as I said before, of eight seconds. The global economy calls them the eight-second shopper. I have the report on my computer of the steps that a, a merchant goes through to capture a Gen Z's impulse buying. Number one way is to put them in games where they minimally accidentally touch something that charges it to their Google account. They're making billions of dollars off that one. There are other ways. Second one in the rating is demonics. These little demon hunter games and blah, 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 for some reason is very appealing to that generation. As I said before, the millennials were looking at 6.3 minutes attention span. Gen X has, a, has an attention span of 30.7 minutes, and their parents, the boomers and up, hold to a 48-minute standard. Sermons are getting shorter and shorter, cuter and cuter, and more stories because this has happened. I don't like telling stories when I teach. Let's get her done. And then we'll tell our stories later. But pastors are using a system that is so opposite of how Christ speaks in them. Christ isn't into telling you cute stories. He's interested in manifesting wonderful stories from your transformation. Gen Zers are do-gooders. They're really hard workers when they set their minds to it. They are. But here's the irony of their do-gooders. They, their do-gooders is usually directly related to environmental issues. They are saving dogs and killing children. That's the quote I got yesterday. They'll save a dog and kill a child. What has happened to the consciousness of mankind to save a dog and kill a child? Europe tells me, as you saw on the slide, we have a contact in France. You talk about a guy that does well documented research. He tells me that euthanasia, that France has a 10-year advance on America with euthanasia. That's killing your grandma and grandpa or your handicapped brother or whatever. So they're into this this whole idea of saving the earth, saving the dogs or grasshoppers. But they're first to step up from what statistics are telling us is to kill grandma. She's too old. Let's pull the plug on her. Well, see, that makes sense to me as a theological researcher because the Bible makes it very clear what the gray-haired people are for. It's to firmly establish generational beliefs 
into the grandchildren so they will never forsake God. I get it. I get the politics and the actions of politics of liberal thinkers. So, number eight matters to me. I am very closely connected to one of the largest abortion, Christian abortion ministries worldwide, and we are moving very actively on the solution aspect or of teaching these gals who they are in Christ, or they'll do it again. They have to understand where the value of life comes from, and life is one of the 225 names of Jesus Christ. For I am the truth. I am the life. I am, you see? So the attacks are typically in the areas of identification of Jesus' names. And fourth graders are figuring that out. Gen Zers influence $600 billion of family spending. $600 billion. And that is primarily in the arena of the Zer convincing the parent of what they want. New jeans, new shoes to match the jeans and the the new hairdo that's $165 and the, you know, it's craziness. $600 billion. You don't think that the, the people that are researching your children on what makes them tick, that's why it matters to them. of Generation Z consumers display symptoms of emotional distress when that device is taken away from them. There's actually a new psychological label put in place for this anxiety that they're experiencing when they're not around their devices. I call it nomophobia. The insurance companies has accepted the label monophobia for Gen Z so that the therapist can be paid for monophobia therapy. I just say no more. No more devices. It's a problem. Finally, Gen Z consumers spend 76 hours per day socializing. I said to a guy here last week, I said, could you explain the difference to me between socializing and socialism? Could you explain that to me? What are the differences? I don't socialize with people. I develop relationships with a cause and a purpose. All my relationships, whether it's with my wife or my grandchildren or a stranger, is for the purpose of the gospel, period. It's to pass on the gospel. That's why I'm here. I'm not here to socialize. In order to socialize, you have to become socialistic. And that is accept the 
parameters of the person you're trying to get to know so they don't feel rejected. That's not a good objective. You can be loving and kind and sweet and generous, all the aspects of a quality Christian. You can have and be all those things in building the relationship for someone else. Thank you for listening to session number one, and remember to listen to session number two. This resource has been presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. For more information about our ministries, visit us online at IOMAmerica.org. That's IOMAmerica.org.